I uh, appreciate your presence here. Um, this is the part where now you have to listen to me for a little bit. That's the, that's the more uh, difficult part, but uh, you can do it. Um, I was thinking, actually, truly, how many people in our country, millions of people in our country, do not attend church, um, either because they don't believe in God or a, a creator being, or because uh, though they perhaps have some sort of a vague notion or belief, they have nothing specific uh, behind it, and they don't really, really believe in the scripture or the Bible as the revelation from God to, our, to earth. They don't understand or accept that this is the, the owner's manual for us, the product. He's the creator, the inventor, we're the product, and this is the, the owner's manual. And so therefore, they do not have in their heart a desire um, to honor God, to learn his ways, or they don't have the internal compulsion of the Holy Spirit seeking to return to God the glory that he created us with. And um, I think that's a very, very uh, sad and sober reality that many, many people live the life that God gave to them, but never honor him for giving it to them. Part of what we do when we come to church on Sunday morning is honoring the Lord who gave us that life. So I'm so thankful and happy to have you here today. I want to read or I want to think together about a crucial, crucial, crucial topic to life, a absolutely essential ingredient in life, and that's hope. And the reality that many lives fall apart and many lives seem to be a failure, at least from the points of reference that we as human beings have, because people don't have hope. I think every time when someone uh, ends their life, for example, when someone commits suicide, I think to myself, what, a, what an indictment of somehow upon a situation where they felt no hope, literally. They didn't feel there was a solution. They didn't feel there was a future. They didn't feel there was anything bright and beautiful ahead of them that invited them or encouraged them to come forward. So they said, there's nowhere to go. Uh, over and over, we see evidence of this. People, um, people protesting or rebelling, not because they dislike the authority, but because they're so frustrated and hopeless that they don't hear, that the, their voice isn't heard or listened to. This is a symptom of our world um, over and over. And so I, I want to I wanna come down in a moment to this choice we have between two words, basically, um, nevermore or evermore. And that's the choice that the Bible really makes clear to us is our choice in the path of life. So it's just a way of thinking about it. Um, this is a statement that I just threw together to kind of formulate what seems to be a very simple formula for life. It seems like no matter what circumstance or what situation, you could kind of plug this formula in and say, if you want, in the end, to have a sense of success or reward or happiness or delight, you kind of have to go through these stages. First of all, there has to be uh, an idea a longing, a, 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 a something that someone somehow or other captured a hold of you and you said, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to accomplish. This is where I want to go. 
and that's your dream. Everybody that accomplishes anything or that, that ends up saying life is filled with hope had a dream of some sort, and maybe many dreams, and maybe multifaceted dreams, but that's always one of the ingredients. And then there is the, the preparation. There is the, um, what I'm calling here, the drive. It might be, it might be study or, um, you know, make an application. It might be going to school, but somehow or other, I'm learning how to accomplish my dream and the preparation that's put into that. And then, of course, there is the work itself, the, the deed. I'm, I'm out here doing this thing. This is my nine to five. This is the, this is the moment where I'm, I'm actually experiencing or attempting to, to, to manufacture this dream that I had. I'm, I'm making it come true. I'm, I'm putting in my time and doing my, du- my duty and my diligence. Um, <clears throat> Cindy and I went out to see our son and his family in Indiana over Thanksgiving. We were able to spend Thanksgiving with him and had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time doing so. Um, this thing hadn't been planned for a long period of time. Cindy has two sisters, and she had talked uh, several times about inviting them to our place for Thanksgiving. <clears throat> and uh, for one reason or another, or maybe a combination, it just never happened. And I said to her, uh, one day, did you ever invite your sisters for Thanksgiving? No, I never got around to it. I said, well, then forget it. We're going to go out and visit Amos and see him and his family over the Thanksgiving. So there was this dream that I had, and then she said, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Let's do that. So that's the dream. And then the night before uh, we left, uh, you know, I put gas in the car and check the air in the tires and the oil and even change windshield wipers because it was raining and raining and raining and I knew my wipers weren't in great shape so I changed wipers and, and we packed some supplies and a few gifts to take and this is all the drive. This is all, uh, literally, literally, they, we did do the driving. I mean, that's, that's just a common part of pursuing something is there's this the effort that you put into it. And then we had these two wonderful, beautiful days where we were able to share, have fun, just hug and kiss our granddaughters. And, you know, that's the deed. And then coming home, we rehashed it all. And we said, what fun, what joy, and all these moments and looking at these pictures. That's the success. That's the reward. That's the delight. I'm simply saying it really don't matter where you want to plug it in. That little formula basically applies to everything, that, that it starts with an idea, it starts with a dream, and then there's the, there's the work toward it, there's the accomplishing of it, and then there is the success, the feeling of, of gladness and reward and uh, uh, um, joy that you did it. You, you had a dream, you accomplished your dream, now what's next and so forth. But this is, this is a, a simple description of life, a simple formula of life. And uh, it's commonplace. It applies to all areas of life. <clears throat> I want to add a footnote. And that is that all of what I just said, every bit of it, presupposes something. It assumes there's 
one idea that just permeates underneath, and nobody may ever mention it or talk about it or think about it, but through all of these phases from the dream, moment of dream onward, there has to be a sense of hope. There has to be this idea that I can go out and visit the grandkids and the, and the family because it can be done. The car will take me there. The, this will fall in place. That will fall in place. They want us to come. We want to come. All sorts of little facets where the sunlight of hope shines in. And there is this existential reality that this is possible. If I didn't have that, if somehow or other there was a conviction so dull and so deadening that it could never be done, I would never waste a moment dreaming about it or driving toward it. Never. None of us would. If the moment an idea came into our brain, we heard the reality, no. Never possible. We would say, okay. And we'd move on. Because we, would, we wouldn't have this necessary constantly available ingredient, which is hope. If we felt that something was hopeless, we're not going to go further, forward one step further. That's why I believe people sometimes do commit suicide. They don't, they don't want to go forward into a life that they feel they can't handle, that they feel there's no way out of, a, of an unacceptable dilemma that they have. And so... They, they just cancel all plans for the future. This is, I, I'm using the word constant because this is the, this is the message that comes through Scripture. That, that, that the importance of hope and the presence of hope is so all-consuming that it has to be a constant in our life. Here's a, here's a formula made... Uh, Popular by Albert Einstein many years ago. hundred years ago almost, I think. Um, some of you could explain this much, much better than I can. I did, have a, I did have a physics class back in high school that I loved and enjoyed. But that's, you know, Mo, that's like just about as long ago as your friend. Um, it's, a, it's a statement of the realization that the energy in our universe is a constant. That God has created a stable universe. And many scientists who don't acknowledge God at all would swear by this formula. And say it's absolute and it's foolproof. And thereby, in my mind, they do acknowledge a creator who's put an ordered universe in place without even admitting it. But the kinetic energy of any body, the ability to transfer its energy in from one form to another or that kind of thing, the kinetic energy of any body or any mass, the M stands for mass. Mass is your, uh, it's not your weight, it's different than weight because weight is mass times the acceleration of gravity, which is 32 feet per second squared. So if, if, you know, your, your body has a certain mass, my body has a certain mass, this microphone has a certain mass. We're all different, all the, all the factors are different. Mass is a relative thing. 
If you're trying to find out the energy of something, the kinetic energy of something, the potential energy of something, you have its mass, which is a variable, it's relative, and you have to have something constant, absolutely unchanging. Because the mass itself can change. And so for things to go back and forth, there has to be, and this was the discovery of Einstein and his geniuses, that he figured out the speed of light, which is 186,000 feet per second, never varies at all. The speed of light is an absolute constant in our universe, past, present, and future. And when the speed of light, which seems to be something very inimitable in, in God's creation of this world and the systems and the, 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 geo, the physical systems of this world, is somehow built around the constant of the speed of light. And Einstein figured this out, that if you multiply that squared by any mass, you get a, an energy that is, that is, that is a, a, able to be transferred and measured and counted for and so forth. So the C, the word C, is called C in this formula, in Einstein's formula, because it stands for constant. If it's the speed of light, why isn't it called L? It's more, than, it's more than light, is what the formula is trying to say. The energy of anybody, of any being or entity, has to have some foundational constant from which to be measured. And so they used the word, he used the word C to say, look, if you don't have the speed of light, nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to make sense. I'm saying this this morning in this message. The C, the constant for life, is hope. You can't do anything, more, more importantly, you won't do anything without hope. A sense and a reality of the, po the potential and the possibility and the achievement of anything is critical. And without that, it'll, your, the formula of life will never work. So I'm trying to say that the constant in the formula of light, just like the constant in Einstein's theory is the speed of light, for us it is the reality of hope, the existence of hope. Hope says, here's, a, here's what the Bible says in the Old Testament, if you don't have hope, if you want to deny someone hope over and over, you're going to make them sick, you're going to make them quit. They're going to have them cause them to give up. They're going to become apathetic. They're not going to care because they can never achieve it. They can never, so therefore, they're never going to dream it. Hope is a constant necessity and a constant ingredient um, in, in, in life. It's, it's, uh, it's the drive and the dream. It, it's behind the drive. And the, in other words, the, the dream and the drive can produce the deed. But um, it, will, it, it, will never, it, will never, it will never get that far without hope. So basically, if I could say it in a different way, the, the idea of hope is this. That I have somehow this real 
complete conviction that something can happen. And not only it can happen, I can somehow or other influence its happening. And more than that, if it's going to take a while, if it's going to take a lot of school or a lot of money or a lot of time or a lot of commitment or a lot of discipline, that's all right. My conviction that it can happen is so great that I can hang on through all of that stuff until it does happen. Hope is what motivates me through all of this stuff. All of the waiting in the world that was ever done was accomplished by hope. You're not going to wait for something if you don't have any hope that's going to come. So, hope is, is, this, is this conviction. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hope is being sure of what we cannot see. And certain of what we wait for. I, I can't see it, but I'm certain of it. It can happen. I, I can't prove it. It hasn't yet happened, but it can. And I'm certain even though I cannot see. That's faith expressed in that sense of hope. Faith is the hope in the things that you cannot see. And, and, and so this, this is who we are. We're people that live in a hope and live out of and because of a hope that we, we understand and we we, we take, we receive from God himself. That the person who put the world together has filled us with hope and given to us this idea. You know, Martin Luther said, I have it here somewhere. What did he say? Anything in the, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. I read that some time ago and I just I wrote it down. I said, wow, that is a powerful, powerful Statement. It's not making anything happen. It's recognizing how it does happen. Nothing is done in the world that isn't done through hope. This is my, this is my statement. This is my interpretation of it. If I don't have hope, I'm already primed for failure. Without hope in my heart, then people have no motivation or inspiration they have no determination or stability they have no success and they have no satisfaction basically they're done their life is just finished and they're and they're just a, a sort of a passenger on a elevator that's coming up and going down and and they don't even know where or why or anything else we've all been sometimes in a situation like we we were just sort of revolving in a circle where there is no faith in the future there's no power in the present it's true now, I'm not just trying to convict you. I'm not just trying to convince you of something that you already know and believe. I'm, tr I'm heading somewhere. And that is to say this. Hope is great. We have to have it. But where in the world does hope come from? If I'm going to have hope, this, listen carefully. If, I'm gonna have to, if I am going to have hope toward anything, Something has to provide it for me. It has to come from somewhere. It has to. Otherwise, it's just a pipe dream. It's a, it's a, a trip on acid. Somewhere, somehow, something has to give me this hope. 
Now, here in the Scripture, we're told that the Scripture itself, the reading and the studying of the Scripture, is a way that God infuses hope into me. Look at the word, encouragement. Through the encouragement of the Scripture, I have hope. I read this and I say, aha, it's not like I thought. It, it, the world isn't like I feel in this present moment of depression or discouragement. And I, and I get a sense that there's somewhere, there's someone in charge of something. I get it from here. So this is what it's telling me here, that I can have hope. There is something to give it to me. It's, there's a source of hope. But I've got to have that. But how wonderful that I can that, that I can have hope. A, a quick story. To have hope, something must provide hope. A quick story from the Old Testament. You're familiar with this, but it, I just want to put it into this, this grid of hope. You know, Elijah was a prophet, and he was running from wicked Queen Jezebel, who's trying to kill him. He was hiding. And God was taking care of him. He was out in the wilderness. He was, he was in a, a remote place. And he was being taken care of by God through nature. Birds would come in and bring him food and so forth. And, the, and then the creek, the brook dried up and the water source disappeared. And Elijah said, okay, Lord, what, what, are, you, what are you looking at here? What am I to do? And the Lord said, I want you to go to Sidon. Now, this was a long walk, a long trip, north and west of where he was in today, which would be the country of Lebanon. And there in Sidon, I have a widow who's going to feed you and take care of you. God made a promise to Elijah that he was going to have a future. And so Elijah said, okay, good deal, I can do that. And he got up from his hiding place and he traveled north and west all the way to the city of Sidon. And there, sure enough, he met a widow, as the Lord had said. And the Lord tapped him on the shoulder and said, this is the widow who's going to feed you. And she's going to take care of you. Now, Elijah's hope was based on God's promise. God said, do this and I'll take care of you. And here's how it's going to unfold and so forth. But when he got to Sidon and he met this widow who was the source of the hope of his future, he was a bit startled to realize that this woman herself was feeling quite hopeless because she was in a starvation situation with her son. She was out of food herself. She had no hope for the future. And she is his hope for the future. How in the world is this going to work? God sent him here and gave him a promise and he, his hope is based on that promise. And he gets here and the source that the Lord says is going to supply his need is so hopeless her own self that she doesn't even foresee a future. It's a kind of a crisis moment. And Elijah has to dig deep and get real. And he said, okay... It's going to be like this. I am basing all of my hope on this promise that God made to me. So if, if I'm right, 
then it really don't matter what this woman thinks. It really don't matter if this woman has any food. God promised me. That's all I need to know. That's my hope. And so he said to the woman, no problem. You don't have any food. It's no problem. God will send you some food. God will supply your food. He has to because you're going to supply me with my food. Isn't it amazing? The woman's hope was based on Elijah's promise to her. But Elijah himself only had hope based on God's promise to him. And so he gave the woman the promise and shared with her the promise. And he said, <laughs> amazingly, if you'll feed me first, then you'll have plenty of leftover. Whew, that's a lot of trust in a stranger who says, take your last bit of food and feed. You know that story. It's very challenging and a, a very interesting type of a uh, story to try to put yourself into. But how amazing that the hope that carried Elijah forward, was so great that he infected others with it. And he said, no problem, it don't matter that you don't have any food. God's going to give you so much food, you're going to have plenty of leftovers. You're, you can feed me, and you're going to have enough for yourself. How do you know this? Well, God told me you would take care of me, so he's got to take care of you to fulfill his promise to me. That gives you hope, cause, and, and on it goes. This is, this is kind of how, how hope is. Now, I'm not finished. I know you're hoping, but I got a little bit more. The need for hope applies to many, many specific and small areas of life. But there's a big picture that's greater than even these small areas. And that is the hope for meaning. We all long and need and have this intrinsic desire that our life would have meaning. Furthermore, greater even than that, we don't even want life to be over when life is over, when the body dies. We say, you know, if I could hope for anything at all, it's not more groceries or, or, or uh, end of inflation. If, if I have to only nail it, narrow things down to one hope, I want to live forever. That's my hope. I want to keep on being me. I want to keep on doing me forever. I don't want to stop. I don't want to go into oblivion. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to go into some kind of a cycle, like a spin cycle that I can never get out of as some, as some groups teach. Man, I just want to have this. I just want to go on having this experience of awe and wonder and delight and productivity and usefulness and joy. I want to be able to experience joy forever. I want to be able to share joy and give it to other people forever. That's our hope. It's much bigger than, well, I just hope that I can get enough groceries to make it through this, this weekend. It, these, are the, these are the big things that we hope for. And so my question here is, is it possible? Can we have that kind of hope? If so, how is it possible? And this question has caused more clashes and more fusses and fights and more debates and more discouragement and even suicide and death by people who end up saying, it's impossible. I could never have hope. So there is no use going on and, and prolonging the misery and they just check out. This question, this this. Deep down human question 
has, has, has ruffled a lot of feathers and caused a lot of differences, brought about a lot of differences of opinion through the ages. I was reading uh, just recently Edgar Allan Poe's poem that he's most famed for. You know, Poe, uh, I'm no authority about Edgar Allan Poe, but you know he was a pretty well tragic figure. I mean, he, his parents died when he was like three years old, and he was taken to, in to live by a stranger who never really took care of him. In fact, uh, Poe wanted to go to college, and he went for part of a year, and the guy wouldn't pay his tuition. A wealthy, wealthy fellow who took him in, he was a stranger, he was not a member of his family, took him in, but he wouldn't help him out. So Poe tried to go to the military, he got kicked out, he ended up going to West Point, and he wasn't there very long, and his, his quote, dad wouldn't pay for tuition, so he had to drop out again. And then he met a wonderful lady that he loved, and of course, you know, her name was Lenore, and and uh, and it didn't last long. They had a wonderful marriage, and he loved her, but she died. And he turned to alcohol as his, and, and the rest of his life, he was, I mean, if you read, he, Poe is a brilliant writer. I don't know what I'm doing here, but, uh, uh, I mean, sound-wise. <laughs> you didn't have to laugh. He's a brilliant writer, but when you read his stuff, it's filled with terror and horror and sadness and mystery, and uh, it's not an in, he's not an inspiring figure at all. And he himself, in his lifestyle of alcoholism, uh, didn't last long. He was, he was a, kind of a maniac. But his most famous poem, of course, is called The Raven. And I just read it recently, and, and it was such a, a startling statement to me of a lack of hope once upon a midnight dreary while my soul was sad and weary pondered many ancient volumes of forgotten lore suddenly while I was napping at my window came a tapping you know that you've read it I don't know what should I do should I just take this other microphone That I had hoped that I would get all the way through service on one mic, but it didn't work. And uh, anyway, this raven pops in, hops into his study, and uh, perches up on a statue over his desk. And, and Poe tries to have a conversation with this black, beady-eyed creature that just keeps staring at him. Won't talk to him, except for one word. Everything Poe asks him, he says, nevermore, nevermore. And you've read the poem, I'm sure. If not, read it. It's, it's, it's interesting because Poe pours out his heart to this creature that he feels has come in from another world. And he says, is there a future? Is there life beyond the grave? Will I see my sweet Lenore? And everything he asks, the, the raven just stares at him and says, nevermore. And he ends this sad distressed poem by saying, and my soul from that black shadow that lies sleeping, or that lies floating on the floor, and my soul from that black shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. This ends in the purest tragic lack of hope. 
And every time I read posts, or every time I hear about that poem, The Raven, I always think about the poem that Virgil Brock wrote that's in our hymnal because he got it from the Bible, Beyond the Sunset. Oh, blissful morning, beyond the sunset. Oh, glad reunion with our dear loved ones who've gone before. That fair homeland, there'll be no parting beyond the sunset forevermore. And I think of how this guy is saying, is there anything beyond the grave? Is there any hope? Is will I ever see my sweet Lenore? And the raven says, nevermore. And over here you have a person giving hope, giving hope from the scripture that says, oh yes, forevermore we have this kind of hope. And we will have this, uh, we, we will have this future forevermore. And, uh, and so many, so I, 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 I'm out of time, so I'm going to quit. But so many men and women so many scholars have taken this issue and delved into the philosophers, ancient and modern, and looked at what the Bible had to say and came up with, with the reality and the conclusion that basically, ultimately, everything else, every other, everything apart from the teaching of the Bible, which is revealed to us a God of love and purpose, everything else just leads to a darkness and uncertainty and every, every, everything else leads to uh, irrationality, basically. Nevermore. <clears throat> the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you've heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that's come to you all over the world, this gospel's bearing fruit. Since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. This is the source of our hope. You know, I remember reading a quotation one time. The guy's name was Cornelius Van Til. He was a theologian and a scholar, probably been dead for 50 years now. Prodigious writer and scholar, Christian. And this is part of what he said in his testimony or in his description of Christianity. He said, I am not a Christian because I want to be. I am a Christian because I have to be. Because there is no other source of hope. Everything else ends up with some kind of, of mixed up, messed up darkness. And he said, I want to have hope. And therefore, I am, I am constrained to follow the revelation of Christ and to follow to follow Christ. And I, I was so struck by that statement. I'm not a Christian because I want to be. I'm a Christian because I have to be. Because I've studied all that we have to look at. This hope is communicated to us in the Bible. Don't put your hope in all these other things. Hope is in the Lord God. This hope is based on the power and the love of the one who created us. We are not divine entertainment. God didn't make us to kick us around as playthings. That's not how the scripture points and says to us. We are imbued with his image. And so he has, fills us with his power and surrounds us with his love. This faith and knowledge rests on the hope of eternal life that God, who does not lie, promised us from the very get-go that this earthly experience is limited, it's short, it's, it's a prep run 
for the real life. That's what the scripture says and has said from the beginning. This hope, from our human perspective, is grounded in the incarnation of God in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. It is what seals the scroll. It's what those two things are what uh, add substance and provability and reality to this. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 1. It's through the resurrection that we have hope, that we are given hope. Poe kept asking the raven. He even said to the raven at one point in the poem, will you just go away? Will you quit bothering me? When are you going to leave me alone? And the raven, of course, said, nevermore. It's hopelessness. And then, of course, it is our own view towards death that is most influenced and affected by this hope that we have. Paul said it like this, if, we only, if our hope is only about the here and now and this week and this paycheck, if that's all it is, then we're just, we're just as deluded as everybody else. But he said the hope that we have isn't about only this life, but it is about our own future. And that's the exciting part, and that's where I'm, I come to the conclusion. You know, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a poem, and it's a big, long poem. I'm just going to mention a couple lines that are summation of this poem. Written many years ago, written many years ago. It's about a train wreck. It was a terrible train wreck in England. People were killed. The conductor fell asleep. And a guy named Milliken wrote a poem about it. But it wasn't just about the train wreck. It was a poem about a philosophy of life in which either death is in charge or life is in charge. And the choice that we have to have hope. But the poem, in the poem he said, who's in charge of this clattering train? The axles creak and the couplings strain. And the pace is hot and the points are near. And sleep has stolen the conductor's ear. And the signals flash through the night in vain. Death is in charge of this clattering train. And he's, he's not just talking about a train wreck. He's talking about lives and how it is that many people, many folks, because, because they've gone asleep at the wheel, then they have, they have no hope. And really, death is in charge of their life. What kind of life is it that death is in charge of your life? So I just want to leave you with this, with this contrast between these two these two alternatives where we have hope based on Christ and the revelation of Christ that's come to us, or we don't have hope because we don't have any source of hope or anything to base it on. Would you stand please with me? <clears throat> I'm sorry to have gone so long. If you know this song, please just sing it softly. My hope is built on nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you're not sure of that today, and you don't have that conviction in your heart, um, then that's where you need to do business with the Lord. It'll change. It'll change everything for your future. Thank you for coming today. I dismiss you in the grace and for the glory of God. Thank you.